But let's turn our attention to something more important this morning. And would you grab a Bible, yours or the one that's there in the chair in front of you, and uh, turn to John chapter 15. And after we're done with this reading, could I ask you to keep your Bibles open because I want you to keep looking at uh, John chapter 15 and verse 16. But we're going to start at verse 1. And I'm going to go ahead and get started and you catch up to me uh, wherever you are. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself, it remains on the vine. Unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you cannot do anything without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, whatever you ask, whatever you want, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. That's a context, but what I really want to focus on, where I really want you to keep your eyes today, is on verse 16. Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you so that you should go out and produce fruit, and that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Well, when I was in high school, the Vietnam War was uh, raging, and while that seems so current to probably many of us, uh, you know, uh, the Vietnam War is like, for many young people, like World War II was to us. It was a history book thing that we knew people that were involved. But I was living during that time, and of course, uh, I, like every uh, young man between the age of 18 and 26, eligible for the draft, was, you know, really scared about the possibility of going into the jungles of Vietnam and uh, fighting over there. And, and yet, um, you know, I went down to the Selective Service Agency, which is what we had to do in that day, and, and we got ourselves a, a little card that we had to carry around in our wallet, and this is not my card. Someone thought my name after the last service was Gary Kenneth Brown. No, my name is George Cole. That's just an illustration of the kind of cards that we, uh, we had. And um, so uh, I went and registered, but they went to this uh, lottery system when I was about 15 years old where they would select people on the basis of when their birth date was. And so uh, I you know, was uh, wondering that day uh, what was going to happen with my birth date. And we're talking March 10th, and I really lucked out. I was birth date 331 out of 366. And so the chances of my being drafted into the war... Uh, was were, were not that great. But why am I telling you about all this draft stuff? Because whether we realize it or not, the scriptures say that you and I have been drafted into the service of Jesus Christ, into his majesty's service. And back in the days of the Vietnam War, uh, there were people that were called draft 
Dodgers. Uh, they went to different countries. For example, Canada was the biggest recipient of these. Uh, 30 to 40,000 uh, young men my age immigrated to Canada to live in order to avoid this military service. And there are many people who are believers. They are followers of Jesus Christ. They have been drafted, but they have dodged his draft. And let's see if we can unpack that thought and see what I'm talking about. And I start in John 15 and verse 16. Notice again, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit. Now I ask you, as if we were in a small group Bible study, as you look at that word, you, where he says, you did not choose me, who is the you in this passage? Sir, you are, because you are a believer, you are a follower of Christ. And, and he was talking to, you know, 12 disciples at this point when he said this. But our brother has already led us on to the fact that what he said to them is exactly relevant to you and I as well. Now, according to this verse, did we volunteer, did we enlist in his service, or were we more like drafted into his service? We're drafted. Now, maybe you just knew what I was looking for, but he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And we can see that in the example of, uh, in Matthew 4, as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they were casting their net into the sea. And uh, since they were fishermen, he said, follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people. And then he went on to do the same thing with uh, James and John. Again, he chose them more than they chose him. Now, in 1973, the United States dropped the draft. And they went to an all-volunteer army. But I ask you, where in history did the local churches belonging to Jesus Christ go from being a group of draftees to being a group of volunteers? People who enlisted themselves. I mean, I don't see that in the Word of God. There are many great organizations out there that are volunteer organizations. I'm sure... Many of you are involved in many of them. There's Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, and there's people that give hospice care voluntarily, and people that work for the United Way, and there's big brothers and sisters, and, and many other great causes out there that people volunteer for. It's their time, and they decide to voluntarily give some of their time to that. But the Church of Jesus Christ is not a volunteer organization like that. It is more a collection of people who have been drafted into his majesty's service, who have simply reported on Sunday mornings for duty, looking for that appointment, looking for that assignment that he has in mind, because he went on to say that um, uh, he not only chose us, but he appointed us. We'll get to that in a minute. God has an assignment for each and every one of your lives. He has a, a calling that he has called each and every one of us to. Now, some of us may be able to uh, uh, articulate that calling. Uh, I, for example, do have this personal calling statement. It's something I read almost every day. I've practically got it memorized. It's what my prayer life revolves around. It's what I make sure that I'm focusing 
my energies on so that when I reach the end of my life, I get this sense that I have fulfilled the Lord's calling for my life. Some of you may have written your calling statements out. Some of you may have a a good handle on your calling. Some of you may have an ambiguous uh, handle on your calling. But regardless, the important thing to know is that we have all been called, we have all been given a unique assignment, and it's not like our assignment, the Lord's assignment for everyone is exactly the same. Uh, The Lord takes everything about us that he made into consideration. We all have different physical appearances. We all have different personalities. Our brains are all wired differently. God's endowed us with different strengths and abilities. He's brought us up in different families of origin and brought us through different life experiences. And and these all go and mold and shape us into the people that he wants us to be so that we can fulfill that unique calling, a calling as unique as our fingerprints, uh, that we can fulfill that unique calling Uh, each and every day. And I love the words of the Apostle Paul. I've embraced these for my own life. This is the one Bible verse that expresses what I daily live for. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And certainly that would be the aspiration of each and every disciple of Jesus Christ. But biblically speaking, what uh, that will involve is bearing fruit for the Lord. And uh, let's think about this whole idea of fruit for a minute. Um, In the verses that we read, we saw that word fruit eight times. And uh, the word fruit is used in a couple of different ways uh, in the Bible. Uh, One way that it is used is the fruit of uh, godly character. For example, John the Baptist saying to those that uh, were coming to him to be baptized, you know, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. There's the fruit of the Spirit. Paul prayed that uh, the Philippian Christians would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. But there's another way in which the word fruit is used in Scripture, and that is the fruit of uh, the results of our service that we render unto the Lord. Uh, Jesus spoke of uh, the disciples going out and harvesting and gathering fruit for eternal life. Paul wanted to go to the Romans in order that he might bear fruit among them. Uh, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and dying is gain, uh, but if I live on in the flesh, this means bearing more fruit. So you see those two different uses of fruit? So the question is then, as we look at John chapter 15, what, which one did he have in mind? Did he have the fruit of godly character in mind? Did he have the... Uh, results of Christian service in mind? Or was he thinking of both? Now, I honestly don't see a basis for thinking of both. I think that's the easy way out. And there's one commentator written a commentary about this thick that I have, and he does ask the thought-provoking question, why in John 15, 16, would Jesus say, go out and bear fruit, if he didn't mean the fruit that was the result of Christian service? And so, Maybe it is both. Maybe Jesus meant both. I don't know where we get the authority to say that, but maybe that's what he meant in that passage. But if we had to choose one over the other, it would be the results of Christian service uh, that he has in mind. And so um, uh, when you hear the words go out and bear fruit, 
Is there another passage of Scripture that, that comes to your mind? The one that comes to my mind, and I think it is connected to this, is to go out and make disciples, as we find in Matthew chapter 28, where we have to relocate in order to bear the fruit. Why would we have to relocate in order to bear the fruit of, God, uh, of godly character? But we do have to go out, we do have to meet people, we do have to make contact, we do have to become fishers of men if we are going to be making disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's just something about this verse that um, maybe you've never thought about before. There is a cyclical nature to it. Jesus says, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then look at this, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So he's talking to his 11 disciples at that point, Judas out of the picture, and he's saying to them, I want you to go and make disciples. And that involves baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, like we're going to witness here next Sunday. But then it involves also teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And now think about this. One thing that he commanded them was to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all of his commandments. And so if the disciples did that and they taught that to their generation, the genera- it comes right down to where you and I exist today and the mission of the church, the mission uh, of God's people has not changed. We still have this commission to go and make more and growing disciples of Jesus Christ. And furthermore, look at why I, I, I just know this program has not changed. Jesus said, lo... I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, uh, until the day that I return and bring this age to a close, you are to go about this task of making more and growing disciples of Jesus Christ. There's, this is not a fad. It's not a new trend. It's not the latest craze, for sure. This is something old. This is something that goes back to the day that Jesus commissioned his disciples to go and make disciples among all the people groups of the world. And so as you think about your personal calling, you'll realize that then part of your call would be to be involved in this Jesus movement of making more and growing disciples that he instituted way back when he commissioned his original disciples. And if in your personal calling statement, if in what your life revolves around, there is not this uh, place where you are directly involved in the making of more and growing disciples of Jesus Christ, then something might be a little bit askew, something might be seriously out of whack, and this is what I want to challenge you to think about this morning. I mean, and this is a really hard thing, a really hard thing for us to be completely honest with ourselves about. Um, Let's say that you see someone at work and you ask them, uh, are you involved in exercise? And that person were to respond to you, oh, yeah, man, I can type out 65 words per minute on my keyboard. And I get up several times a day from my desk and I walk to my car when work is over and walk to my home when I get home, and 
I, you know, run into the living room and I grab a hold of that clicker and you ought to see me click that clicker so I can watch my television programs. I mean, would you get the feel that this person is being like really honest with themselves? Not at all. But I want you to transfer that into church life, into spiritual disciplines. There's a lot of things that we do, and they're all important, that are uh, the things that we do that are related to our Christianity and related to our relationship with the church, but maybe we're just going with some vague idea that because I do something for the church, I'm doing something for the Jesus movement of making disciples, when in fact that may not be the case. And that's where you need to be honest with yourself and honest with God and where some of you might in fact be draft dodgers. Now some of you may be draft dodgers because you're, you're involved in your work and you work long and hard to ever provide your family with increasing levels of comfort. And that's what your life revolves around. And that's important, and I'm not saying that's unimportant. I would be misunderstood if you thought that. But it's where you hide. It's where you hide from your disciple-making responsibility from the Lord. And that's what I want you to be concerned about. Or some people hide behind family. How can you fault family? It's God's creation. It's a wonderful thing. I mean, you could see how crazy I am about family. But some people in their family involvements maybe, maybe that's their Canada. Maybe that's where they immigrate to hide from the responsibility of making more and growing disciples of Christ. For some it might be their hobbies or their interests. Um, And and I don't know what your interests are. I don't know these sheep. I I knew my last sheep, so I could always use the right illustration that wouldn't offend anybody, right? But, um, you know, maybe your thing is uh, quilting. Maybe your thing is uh, uh, skiing. Maybe your thing is uh, politics. Maybe your thing is gardening. I mean, okay, what, what is your thing? What are your hobbies and interests? And are they the Canada that you immigrate to in order to dodge this draft of having to get down with people, get involved in their lives, and uh, make them into disciples of Jesus Christ. But then there is the church. We can hide, and this is the greatest place to hide, in the busyness of the life of the church. And again, I'm not faulting that. There are many, many needs within the church. My question is, Do you possibly use it as a hiding place to prevent you from being involved? Are you maybe more into churchianity than uh, Christianity as the founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ, appointed? There was a, a news story one time that tickled me greatly. Police were looking for a murderer, and they were looking all over the state, and they couldn't find him. He was on the run for the longest time. This guy was clever. He rented an apartment right next door to the police station. And they just didn't imagine anyone moving closer to where they could be spotted. And so, you know, if you ever get in trouble with the law, you know, it might be a good strategy to try. But um, hopefully you won't. Uh, but then another story like that, news story, when I was living on Long Island, there was this uh, arsonist that was setting all these uh, uh, houses and barns and buildings on fire. And uh, it took the police forever to, to, to catch this guy turned out he was a fireman and that he was lighting these fires so that he could be the, 
the star of the evening who went in and rescued the dog from the fire and, and get all these accolades, you know. And so, you know, here we are, we're in a church. You know, are we hiding in the church from the uh, daily w- relational work of making uh, more and better disciples of Jesus Christ? I'm not saying you are. I'm asking you, I'm begging you to think about it. Because uh, on the, the, the grace hand uh, that I have, I mean, I understand what life is like. I understand how busy things are. I understand how hard it is to maintain balance. I understand how it is to keep all of our priorities intact. I understand. But on the truth hand, there is the reality that all of us are going to one day stand before Jesus Christ. We're going to give an account of our lives and we're going to give an account of the personal calling that he has placed upon our lives, the, the draft that he has uh, called us into, the appointments that, that he has given us. And uh, as we've said, those are going to involve uh, making more and growing disciples. And so we're going to just want to make sure. And I, I know that January is often a time when we're off to a new start in the year and we, we have all this fresh reminder of all these things that we're supposed to do and we're overwhelmed with responsibility and we're overwhelmed with guilt. And I'm, and I'm not trying to add to it. I'm, I'm just beginning this position here. And by the way, disciple-making is not the only thing I can talk about, even though it might be the only thing you hear me talk about. Uh, but it, it's an important thing. And, um, and, and we do have to give some thought to it. It is, first of all, a mandate. It is, second of all, a mindset. It is, third of all, a methodology. Let me explain in closing. First of all, it is a mandate. Now, I've tried to point that out. I've only used a few references. You may have to go to your Bible because maybe you think like, uh, he's just selling his program and using the scriptures to do that. I happen to think it's the opposite of that. I happen to think that I do that because of what the scriptures teach. Maybe you're not convinced that that's really my motive, maybe you're really not convinced that this disciple-making thing is as important as it is. Well, I mean, you're not going to go anywhere with it until you get down and, and study the Scriptures and, and get real with the Scriptures and see that for yourself. So I challenge you uh, in that way if you're not already convinced in that way. But after it becomes the mandate, after you realize that's what I was drafted into, that's, that's part of what I'm being appointed to, well, then you have to work it into your mindset so that daily you're living for the purposes for which God called you. And um, it's one thing to know the mandate. It's another thing to have it change your life. And that's the mindset. So for some of you, you may already be convinced of the, the mandate. Now it's time to go to work on the mindset and say, God, show me how this is supposed to work in my life. But here's where I think I have exceptionally good news. And that is related to the method. Because there is no one method of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, it is possible that some of you have had a church experience in the past where they said, this is disciple making, this is the way you make disciples, and you were supposed to be involved in that, you tried that, that didn't work for you, and you're thinking, then disciple making is not my thing, 
It doesn't matter to me what you're saying. Disciple-making is not my thing. And I'm going to ask you to give it another chance, to think about it once again. Because it is no singular methodology. It's a mindset that carries itself out according to the way that God has wired each and every one of us as individuals. And for some of us, that may be one-on-one. We may meet with a person in a curriculum uh, one-on-one for a while. Or... We may have no curriculum at all. We may just meet over coffee and and talk life, but your intention is to influence that person so that their life becomes uh, a better follower of Jesus Christ. You see, it can be done formally. It can be done informally. It can be done in a small group setting. It can be done in a classroom setting. Now, the, the problem with the classroom setting is that we were raised in classrooms, every one of us, and we have a certain expectation, and the teacher stands up there, and the teacher is a dispenser of information. Lacking in that process is the whole idea of loving my students enough, praying for my students enough, caring for my students enough, that I want them to get this, and I want to make it so relevant to them that they can take it out of the classroom and live it in their life. And so we would need some reorientation, but maybe your thing is in a classroom. Uh, but then maybe for some of you, uh, you know, it, it's uh, uh, in some other way. Uh, maybe you are this warm, welcoming person who is able to just, in, you know, invite people into your home, open your door and give them a warm reception, put your arms around them, so to speak, and uh, lead them to the person that leads the life group or leads the discipleship group or, or, or uh, a person who's on your team who, is, who, who loves to verbally uh, make disciples. Maybe your thing is more loving people and serving people and that what you uh, are called of God to do is to take people that are hurting, take people that have needs, take people that, have, uh, uh, that need to be loved and put your arms around them and to introduce them to other members of your team. But we're looking for this direct connection between what we do and the fact that what we do is making more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. So there you go. You may have to work on the mandate. You may have to work on the mindset. You may have to work on the method. But uh, you've got something now that you can take away with you. It is possible that uh, there would be those among us this morning who have never embraced Jesus Christ as Savior. And while this is relevant to you because we were all created for Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ and for his purposes, there's other things that you need to be concerned about first, and that is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And yes, uh, I've laid out a heavy responsibility here this morning, and, um, but you know, it's maybe part of counting the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ for you, uh, and, and it is part of the cost. But here's the thing. With Jesus Christ, we exchange one life for another. He, he takes us through this orientation and this reorientation, and he gives us a better life. He says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So even on a temporal, earthly level, he improves the quality of our lives by knowing him. And then what's even greater, what's even more important than this brief little time that we spend on the earth is the fact that he takes us from having, from being eternally condemned to having eternal life. And so the most important thing for you would be not the other things that I've said in my message, even though 
you can keep those all in mind, in the back of your mind. The important thing for you is to come to the point where you admit the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that you believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he loved you and he gave his life for you as we're going to celebrate here in the communion in just a moment and that you call on the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior. And I know there's a lot of people around this church that can help you think through that decision. I certainly am available. I know Pastor Neil's available. Any of the staff members are available. You know, so, uh, so don't let that business uh, go undone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you know where each and every person is at here this morning. You know those that need to give serious consideration to believing in Jesus Christ and trusting in him as their Savior. You know that there's a large number of people in this sanctuary that have already committed themselves to you. And maybe some are struggling with this whole idea of the mandate. Maybe their understanding of Christianity, maybe their understanding of church was just something really different from what was being presented here this morning. Lord, just uh, help them as they deal with the mandate. And then after the mandate, Lord, those that are working on their mindset, help them to understand that they have a role, that they have a calling, and help them each to find their niche and to find the method, to find the expression of that niche that you have called them to. But help all of us to be involved in this process in one way or another, knowing that we've been drafted, knowing that we've been appointed into your majesty's service. In whose name we pray, amen.